Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, April 10th, 2018. Got a entire program chock full of bad Easter sermonage. It, it it really is a mess. I'm not joking. It's really bad. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. Stop. Open up that Bible, please, and (laughs) compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of really crazy things being said out there, we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolates, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching that is being put forward for consumption by evangelicals, is not even close to biblical. People are just making stuff up, teaching for shameful gain, things they ought not to teach. People who have no clue what the Bible is about or who it is about are preaching all kinds of strange, really bizarre messages. And we'll note this, and that is is that (laughs) I've said it, Already, I'll say it again, the reason why we do these programs where we do the worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest is because oftentimes it is so stark, you know, what is being preached is not at all what Scripture says regarding Christ and the resurrection. If you think you're going to get at least one Sunday a year where you're going to hear about Jesus Christ, Him crucified risen from the grave for the forgiveness of our sins, you would think that it would be on, you know, Easter Sunday. And so, you know, what we point out here is is that uh, this is always a good bellwether as to whether or not your pastor is somebody who should be in the pulpit, who is rightly handling God's Word, properly proclaiming Christ, and uh, or whether or not there's something else going on there. That's kind of the thing. So, these are this this is a week of training. Last week was all good Easter sermonage. This week yeah, no, not at all. Now, before we talk about what we're going to do on this installment of Fighting for the Faith, 
want to remind you that uh, registration is open for this year's 2018 uh, Pirate Christian Radio Conference. Or I should say, not, we really should say Pirate Christian Media because you know we've expanded well beyond uh, audio and the podcast. But our uh, Pirate Christian Media Conference is on Friday, August 10th. And Saturday, August 11th, the speakers are myself, Pastor uh, the Reverend Dr. Matt Richard, Sandra Ostapowich, and Phil Johnson. Phil Johnson, the uh, right-hand man of John MacArthur and the Grace to You Ministries. It is held at uh, Kongsvinger Lutheran Church, Oslo, Minnesota. And uh, I need to remind you that space is limited. You know, one of the reasons why I don't start trying to fill the conference, like first thing at the beginning of the year, is due to the fact that uh, it would probably sell out really quick. And uh, and the idea is is that space is limited to a total of 150 registrants, 150 registrants, and so uh, that's adult registrants. Uh, you know, kids. We do provide uh, childcare for the event, and I uh, want to let you know that. But it's not very expensive to attend. All of the details are over at fightingforthefaith.com. Uh, on the top navigation, it says 2018 PCR Conference. Click on that link, and uh, you'll get all the information about, you know, how to register, who's talking, you know, and things like that. And uh, the name of the conference is uh, Fight the Good Fight of Faith. And uh, I <laughs> let's just say that the topics are to be announced, although, I, you know, I will say this. Uh, the Reverend Dr. Matt Richard, I have specifically asked him to teach on the biblical doctrine of uh, of what is the the long Latin phrase, the simul justus et peccator, uh, which you know, or it just gets so shortened to the simul, and that is is that you know that that the, even though we are declared righteous, we are regenerated in Christ, we still have a sinful nature, and so he'll be talking about that. Um, there's a good chance uh, Phil Johnson will be uh, talking about strange fire or something in that realm. Just saying, you might want to pay attention to that. Sandra Astapowich, I've invited her to speak about uh, the church's response to those who are victims of domestic violence. And uh, and notice I didn't say women. I said uh, victims of domestic violence. That goes both ways. Majority of that, vast majority of that, is uh, is uh, women in in you know in a marriage relationship become victims of. Domestic violence, but uh, she's going to talk about how the church has not really given an adequate and proper biblical response, and in, in, and you know what things to look for, and um, and how the church can can and should best respond uh, to uh, you know marriage situations where one of the spouses is uh, experiencing domestic abuse and things like that. So uh, my topics, I have no idea what I'm talking about, so uh, <clears throat> you'll have to stay tuned. But again, all the information is available at the website, fightingforthefaith.com. Again, click on the 2018 PCR conference link up at the top of the page. Uh, registration information, hotel information, even uh, a, a code that you can use with Cheapo Air for a, you know a discounted rate for uh, airfare, you know, all of that information is available on the website. Want to let you know that. Uh, know that. So let's talk about what we will be doing on this installment of Fighting for the Faith today. Like I said, we're going to be listening to some bad Easter sermonage and uh, rev reviewing contestant number two for the uh, 
Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest. Today we're going to begin with um, <clears throat> a message from Russ Austin. Are you being fooled? This is his Easter sermon. And Russ gets an honorable mention, although he didn't quite make the cut. And he gets an honorable mention because, <laughs> so, you know, think of it this way. All right, so Easter Sunday falls on April Fool's Day. And so the pastor has has to make a decision. Which holiday am I going to preach on? <clears throat> am I going <laughs> to... Am I going to preach on the resurrection of Jesus, or am I going to preach about April Fool's Day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the name, Are You Being Fooled? Guess which <clears throat> holiday uh, Russ decided to preach on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's just like, yeah, it would be like, you know, turning in um, an algebra assignment to your um, home economics teacher, you know. <laughs> it's just <clears throat> an adventure in... Uh, <clears throat> Missing the point, indeed. And uh, then we're going to do a a vision casting leader update. We're going to be hearing from Francis Chan. And um, the the name of the message is, Are You Destroying the Church? And I I wish I was making this up. But Francis Chan is literally going to make the argument that criticizing Rick Warren, Mark Driscoll, and Mike Bickle is the the equivalent of destroying uh, the temple of God and um and that uh, god will there's a good chance that god's going to destroy anybody who um <clears throat> critiques them yeah i wish i was making that up i mean this is kind of a variation of touch not god's anointed and uh this it's a total mishandling of this text so uh of the text he'll be looking at and then uh break we'll take a quick break uh after that and uh, when we come back from the break we're going to do an extended john kilpatrick uh, uh, you know, update. Uh, so we're going to put this under New Apostolic Reformation, and his Easter sermon titled uh, "It's Actually Just 2018 Resurrection Day Service." John Kilpatrick, and uh, and so we're going to listen to the opening portion of his Easter sermon, and we're going to note that uh, <laughs> oh boy, there's a lot going wrong on this, and there's a particular theme I want you to you know, kind of dial in on, and I'll help you see it. The uh, this idea that somehow. You know, the resurrection, you're not experiencing full resurrection power unless you're applying that resurrection power to make your life great or something like that. And then in hour number two, contestant number two, uh, uh, Ryan Meeks from Eastlake Community Church in his Easter sermon. And, um, yeah, I just hope that you're sitting down and, you know, maybe some kind of protective gear may be appropriate for this sermon because... This guy I don't even think is a believer. That's just the best way I can put it. And so, yeah, he he full-on attacks the bodily resurrection of Jesus. So with that, we're going to uh, get into the program proper. And uh, let's go ahead and start off (laughs) with this uh, update music. Here we go. It really doesn't matter what, what I, I do, do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flair. What effect a little smoke is with a dash of hocus pocus and the scent of burning sulfur in the air. I'm a fraud, a hoax, a charlatan, a joke, but they love me everywhere. For it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flair. 
Yeah, that's right. doesn't matter what I say or what I do, as long as I do it with a flair. All right, so opening segment, uh, we are heading over to, uh, let's see, South Point Community Church in Jacksonville. The name of the Easter sermon is, Are You Being Fooled? And like I've already pointed out, you know, you've got to make a decision as a pastor. You always have got to make decisions, you know. You know, so you've got a major holiday, you know, two major holidays falling on the same day. Yeah. You know, the resurrection of Christ and <laughs> April Fool's Day. And, you know, you, you take a coin out, you flip it, and you go, which of these two things am I going to preach about? Mm-hmm. Here's um, <clears throat> Russ Austin. Audenborough mentioned didn't quite make the cut for the, um, the contest this year and his message, are you being fooled? Here we go. Good morning. Uh-oh. Good morning. Thank you. April Fool's Day as Easter Sunday. How about that? April the 1st. The most famous, and it's considered by almost everyone, the most famous April Fool's hoax ever. And uh, I've been talking about it on the radio uh, here this week. It's what they call the Great Spaghetti Hoax. It was in 1957. And uh, basically a BBC radio uh, show, uh, it wasn't just, it was a multimedia event. They did a radio and television. In fact, if you want to go Google it, don't do it right now. That's kind of rude for me. But if I see your face all blue while you're watching this video. and and uh, But uh, they have they actually put out a video, two minutes and 23 seconds long, I think. And it, it's done like a like it's a, a documentary. This guy's voice and the way they discuss it. And they talk about, this is 1957, true story. Considered the number one April Fool's hoax of all time. And it's called the Spaghetti Harvest Hoax. And they go on and they show pictures in this video of spaghetti trees. And they show people picking the spaghetti off the trees and draping it over their arms. And the guide starts discussing, saying, we are seeing a bumper crop of spaghetti this year because of unbelievable weather conditions and the absence of the dreaded spaghetti weevil. And uh, they go through all these things. And the way he says it, it's, it's mesmerizing. It's like you're listening to a documentary of a factual point in history. Well, people bought it. And they started calling in, going, how could I get one of these trees? And, it be, and I mean, they kept calling in and kept calling in. And, and, and so it became the greatest hoax in history. The great spaghetti tree harvest it's the funniest thing you ever see they got little strands growing out of these trees and then they got spaghetti vines no one even picks that up that one time it's a tree another time it's a vine and they're picking these spaghetti strands off it just amazing Uh, there's another one um south florida here in 2013 so more recently two djs uh val st john and uh, a guy named scott i can't remember his last name those of you listen to it's gator country down there 101 something um in 2013 on april fool's day they went on the air and said folks well we need to alert you uh, that coming out of your taps is dehydrogen monoxide and so beware and uh and they said so please take care to you know make sure that you're looking into your tap water because uh dehydrogen monoxide is flowing out of it and, uh, and people started calling in. In fact, it got so serious that they went down and threatened these DJs with felony charges. So many people were calling the water department. It caused so much chaos in the city. Everybody bought it. But folks, so, and, and I wouldn't have known this, but dehydrogen monoxide is water. 
and uh, so people bought it and went nuts, and they, they actually were taken off the air for several days and put on suspension, threatened with felony charges. It worked. April Fool's Day. So how, how about that? Now, um, and so I thought we'd take that kind of thought today, and uh, because there's nothing worse, is there, than being tricked? Has anybody ever been conned? Just go ahead and be honest. Get it. Don't you hate being conned? You know, somebody comes up and says, I need money. I had this, I've had this kind of thing happen before. They come up and go, I need money. Our family was driving from, I learned after a while going, where did you leave Arkansas if you were going to California, if you didn't have any money? But the first couple of times this happened to me as a pastor out in West Texas, just a young guy and people would come up and they said, we need money. We ran, ran out of gas. We left our, it always is Arkansas. They always left. So some little story they read about somewhere. They left from Arkansas and they're headed to California to go to their family's funeral. And now that their car was out of gas needing money or their transmission was out. And I remember this, I forget which one exactly was, but I gave them, you know, like 25 bucks to get some gas. And then I watched them go get in their SUV and drive off in a car. They had a nicer car than I had. And, uh, and I'm going, what in the world? And uh, we had a guy in our church here. He's, he hates being, he's super tight with his money. And we were out eating with them. We were at Red Lobster eating with them. And this couple, yeah, these are interesting stories. What on earth are you preaching on? Why are you preaching on this? Up the door and said, look, we're uh, all broke down. And uh, the story is so familiar. And, and so he looked at him and, and he said, I'll give you the money. And when I came out of the restaurant, he told me about it. You remember this? <laughs> and, so I go, and, he, and I go, oh, no, you didn't give him money, did you? He goes, well, yeah. They, and he told me the story. I go, oh, no. I said, listen, I'm telling you, that's not true. You've been conned. And they go, Russ, I'm telling you, you should have seen him. I said, oh, I know. I said, I'm, I'm, listen, I have the scars to show you. I have done what you just did. And this guy's super tight. And I, and, and I said, where did they say they were going? And so, so we drove down, we, we, we looked down the road and they were pulling their van into a liquor store. And, uh, and I, he says, that's it. He says, I'm going to get my money back. I said, you're going to get shot. Just, I said, just, I said, just, just let it go, pal. Let it, let it go. Get shot. That's your lesson learned. Next time, go with them to buy the groceries if you're going to give them the money. I said, but it, it, or just give them the money and, and ask for Jesus to give you a reward to whoever they are. That's when we start going, I had a good heart, Lord, so please bless me for the money I gave to that con man. <laughs> All right, so what I'm here today to do, and I learned this in the first service, and, and I'm here, I'm trying to help People. You're here to proclaim Jesus's victorious resurrection from the grave, right? That might be missing something, and you go, what, Russ, why didn't you tell me? Just why didn't you tell me? And um, I don't want you to get to some point in your life going, you could have told me, you could have at least pointed me in the right direction where I could have not been conned. And so I, I want to show you a couple of situations from Scripture. Paul talks about one group of people, and, and, uh, and here, here's what he says in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. Uh, For what can be known about God is plain to them. That's the people who are in creation looking out going, there has you got to watch. <laughs> okay. This is not a standard uh, Resurrection Sunday text. Just saying, and, but Romans 1 is a great passage of Scripture to preach and teach on. <laughs> Hope you're sitting down because wait to see what he does with this. Yeah, God. And uh, because God has shown it to them. 
For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Now, not everybody believes that, and I understand that. Not everybody thinks that God made this stuff that Paul is talking about. So, he says, they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. For they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They were fooled. They were conned, in my opinion. And it- no, they were not conned. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Yeah. Changed the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, I want to be clear about this. This group of people that Paul is talking about are people that had become aware there has to be a God. No. Let's take a look at the text real quick. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And I got to make the text a little bit bigger here. Yep, that'll help. Okay. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They are suppressing the truth. For what can be known about God is it's plain to them because God has actually shown it to them. And this is all humanity. For God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, they have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools." And exchange the glory of immortal of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. So you're going to note, Romans chapter 1 is not describing victims who have been duped. It is describing perpetrators and sinners who are guilty of suppressing the truth and acting foolishly. Now, if you don't believe in the whole God thing at all, I'm not talking about you. But these are people that have become aware. There has to be a creator, but then they, they have to, there has to be a God. There has to be something. And, um, but they, Which this, art, this text is arguing everybody knows there's a God. ...decide not to honor him. They look around creation and go, there has to be one. But then they make this decision to create their own idols, their own gods, their own... Right. They make the decision. They're going to worship their own ways of going about life. That's how they look about it. And, uh, and you, when you talk about these people, uh, uh, about the God of the Bible, they, they don't quite grab that. And they're going, that's not my deal. I'm, I, I'm not that. And so I'm talking about the people, not that group that say there is no God. These are people where there is one no, no, the, this text is clear that everybody knows there's a God. But they don't honor the God of the Bible as that one. All right? And these people, Paul tells us, become twisted in their thinking. Once you dislodge yourself from the yes. God of the Bible, your mind can grab a hold of all kinds of things. And Paul says your mind can actually get dark and you can't think straight. Yeah. I'm not saying your mind, I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm saying. <laughs> yes, actually. Being an idolater and suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, by definition, makes you a bad person. 
in that concept, you can't think straight. And, um, and your perspectives become skewed. So that group is basically going to end up at some point in eternity, and they're going to feel somewhat fooled, I'm afraid. No. No. Yeah, see, see, this the problem here is uh, he decided to preach on April Fool's Day rather than the resurrection of Christ, and so he's twisted this text and... He said they're not bad people. No, really, they are really bad people, and they are not fooled. They have behaved foolishly, and the text says they have become fools. Yeah, big difference altogether. All right, moving along, we're going to do a vision casting leader update uh, for Francis Chan. Let's do this.
that's right. That's Los Lobos Ministry Records and their rendition of uh, Casting Vision. So uh, we're going to be heading over to a church that is named Bethel, but that is not Bethel Redding. It's just Bethel. And we're going to listen to a, a portion of a sermon delivered by Francis Chan, Are You Destroying the Church? Are You Destroying the Church? And as we listen to this, we're going to note that he is going to be utterly mangling, and I mean this, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, a certain portion of it, to basically say that if you are challenging or talking down Rick Warren, Mark Driscoll, Mike Bickle, you are destroying God's church and God might destroy you. Wish I was making that up. We'll get this started here. We'll take a break in just a minute, but uh, let's kind of set the table. Here's Francis Chan. 1 Corinthians 3. Verse 16. Ah, see, now here's the problem. All right, remember the, the three rules for sound biblical exegesis. Context, context, and context. The context of 1 Corinthians 3.16 actually be, begins in verse 10. But let's let him read this out a little bit more. And he's going to jump into the middle of a point that Paul is making. And by doing that is twisting this text. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. This is the word of God. Yeah, so no, oh, immediately we got a problem here because out of context, it makes it, oh no, am I destroying God's temple? God might destroy me! Ah, what do I do? How do I know if I'm destroying God's temple or not? Yeah, see, already we got a big, ginormous problem. But uh, before we solve it, we're going to have to uh, take our first break and uh, and then when we come back, we will continue with Francis Chan. We'll take a good, cold, hard look at uh, 1 Corinthians 3, starting at verse 10, so we can get the context. And then we'll do a John Kilpatrick section segment on the other side. So if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we will continue with Francis Chan and uh, John Kilpatrick. Stay tuned. We will be right back. Your words have no power to create reality. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. Hey, do you want to feel holier than thou? Try Bible Thirst. 
Holy drinks for people who need gratuitous amounts of piety. With all new flavors like prosperity, instant abundance. It's like adding your bank account to an electrical store. Sound the alarm. You're going to be uncomfortably holy. What's that? You want mana? Well, how about super mana? Made with lightning. Real lightning. Preaching. Ah. You'll be good at it. It's a holy drink for men. Clergy. These aren't your pastor's puns. They are righteous puns. Piety puns. Sinner, saint, sinner, saint. Prayers, lights, cross lights, power lights, more lights than your body has room for. You'll be so holy, Mother Teresa will be like, slow down. And be like, no. And roundhouse kick her in the face with your Bible pants. You know, so much holiness, holiness. Ah. Just praying all the time. Power praying, power preaching, power praising, power fasting, power meditating, power laughing, power spotting Chester. You know, so much Chester. Just like Esau. Give prosperity to babies, they'll be holy too. Make your babies run abnormally fast. They'll be as fast as Elijah. People watch them running and think they're Elijah. They'll race as fast as Elijah. In a race with the actual Elijah. And it'll be a time they get deported back to Israel. Hey, go with the for sure thing. Don't gamble on your afterlife. Jesus. Try Bible thirst. The energy that will make you uh, holy. Uh. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck, because we now at Pirate Christian Media have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twist Busters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, Exclusive Skype Interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire. So if you're looking for some extra Pirate Christian Media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that if you're telling people that if they critique false teachers that God's going to destroy them, that's a form of manipulation and abuse. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can support us. Visit our website, Fighting for the Faith. 
Dot com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says join our crew. The other says donate. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. And rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith Senate to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And if you'd like to support us by becoming a patron on Patreon, you can do that as well. Uh, Just click on the Become a Patron button. Let me thank you for your support because we cannot continue to do this important and vital work without it. All right, so let's return to Francis Chan. We've noted that he has begun at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. He's ripped it out of context. In fact, why don't we go ahead and look at the context right now? We'll look at the context, what this passage is teaching and saying, and we're going to note what it's not saying, and we'll see then what Francis Chan does. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 says this, According to the grace of God given to me, the Apostle Paul saying, Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Someone else is building upon it. So let each one of you take care how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So you're going to note that Paul is saying, he has laid a foundation, the foundation is Christ, people build on it. So How then are they going to build on the foundation, which is Christ? Are they going to do so with good materials or with schlocky materials? Schlocky materials, you can say one of the schlocky materials is false doctrine and false teaching. So if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Talking about y'all, not you singular, but y'all plural, all right? Um, that in uh, God's spirit dwells in y'all. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are holy. So let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos, Cephas or the world or life or death or present or future, all are yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God's. So this is how we should regard, uh, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So, you're going to see here, this is in the context of building on the foundation. The foundation is Christ. Paul the Apostle laid the foundation. This is part of the reason why Ephesians talks about how the apostles, you know, are, are you know, <laughs> are a foundation, the, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone. Paul here in 1 Corinthians 3 saying the actual foundation is Christ himself. So what are people building on it? And with what materials? 
and he's reminding them that y'all, we all together, we are God's temple, and that this holy God's spirit dwells within all of us. If anyone destroys God's temple, so how does one go about destroying the temple of God? Answer, take a look at other cross-references. By teaching false doctrine, teaching for shameful gain, the things that ought not to be taught, for teaching heresies, all kinds of things like this, twisting God's word, making it void, uh, manipulating it. These are all of the different ways in which the New Testament warns us about those who are destroying the temple of God. But watch what Francis Chan does here. It's fascinating and frightening all at the same time. Here we go again. I'm going to read it again. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. We talked about what is sacred. What is holy? And God says, you want to know what's holy? You are. You are this temple. The Bible says when you got saved, you became like a living stone stacking on top of the other stones, building one temple that is a dwelling place for God. He says it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone. So it's this one temple that that spans time somehow. Like right now, I'm a living stone connected to other living stones throughout history. I'm connected to Moses. I'm connected to David. I'm connected to Peter and Paul. Jesus is the cornerstone. Elijah, the prophets, he goes, this is a very holy thing that God is doing. And so if anyone tries to destroy this unity, if anyone's trying to destroy this temple. Okay, so, all right, so... Who is the one, according to Scripture, who destroys the unity in the body of Christ? Okay, well, I'm not going to just speculate, and um, we're going to note that Jude answers this question for us. Jude, I'll start at verse 17. You must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. And you're going to note, in the context of Jude, Jude is describing kind of three main prototypes or archetypes of false teachers in his epistles. You have Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Those are the three main archetypes. And he's describing these people, that they rely on their dreams and visions, they defile the flesh, they reject authority, blaspheme the glorious ones. And he's talking about the false teachers. And so Jude makes it clear that these false teachers and false prophets and prophets for profit who are ungodly and turn the grace of God into sensuality, all these people, they are the ones 
who are destroying unity and destroying God's temple. So you just got to do some good cross-reference work, if you would. And so I'm saying that because where he's going to go with this is absolutely frightening. God says, I will destroy him. This is why I believe in Titus 3.10, it says, warn a divisive person once. And the divisive person is the false teacher. Warn him again and then have nothing to do with him. So who does Francis Chan thinks the divisive person is? Because Scripture defines that person as the one who is a prophet for profit, rejects authority, or, you know, is like Cain, who is, you know, going through the religious motions, you know, the, the false teachers, the false prophets, the, all of those types. If anyone's going to try to destroy God's temple, God says, God will destroy him. When God was revealing these things to me. So notice, Francis Chan just said when God was revealing these things to me. Uh Uh-huh. He's claiming direct revelation here. Man, I just... I was like, Lord, I am sorry. There are times when I've spoken up and said things too flippantly about other leaders and other churches. And when I compare to what God struck people dead for, I go, God, I am so sorry. Uh huh. So apparently, speaking out against uh, uh, another teacher in the Christian church could cause God to kill you. Help me guard my lips. Because when I speak against that brother, I'm taking a sledgehammer to the temple. No, you're not. If the person is teaching false doctrine and you're warning the church and pointing out the false teaching, that's not destroying the church nor causing disunity. Remember, Jude says it's the false teachers who are the ones who are causing divisions, not those who are warning about those who are teaching false doctrine. That's why if someone is going to gossip to you, and say something negative about someone else in the body. Man, it is your job. If No, you don't destroy the church by talking, saying something negative about somebody within the visible body of Christ. He's twisting this text. Who love that person to warn him. Did you put that sledgehammer down? Are you insane? Do you know what's going to happen if you destroy God's temple? Are you are you an idiot? You're you're seriously gonna go after? That's why if you come from another church, man, don't go telling me anything about what happened over there and how they mistreated you and oh, you poor victim, man. I'm sorry, whatever. But you know what? Let's be very careful about our words. That's why people don't come to me with that stuff. You know, people boast like, oh, I'm a safe place. No, you're an enabler. You're an unloving enabler. You might as well put your hand on the sledgehammer with them. Say, yeah, I can't believe that. Yeah, I can't believe that person. You are insane. Instead, if you love the person, you're like, dude, put that down. Don't let those words come out of your mouth. Look at what God says. 
And don't let Satan get in your head going, did God really say that God? Yeah, you twisted this text, and you're making those who are questioning false teachers, you're basically saying they're the ones causing disunity in the body of Christ. Unbelievable. Really say he would destroy you? And I mean, is that really his temple? Read it. I'm a part of the temple of God. Man, let's be careful with our words. Man, I hear people criticize leaders around our nation. And I I haven't been quick to confront it, but now it's like I'm getting serious. Like, are you crazy? Are are you going to bash Rick Warren? Yeah, I'm going to critique Rick Warren for his egregious and habitual twisting of God's word. Yeah. And I stand by every critique we've offered here at Fighting for the Faith where we have compared what he has said to God's word in context and have warned people about his false teaching and his false ecclesiology and false church model. This is a guy that loves the Lord. Yeah, you may not agree. If he loves the Lord, why does he twist God's word? I have I am not impressed with a subjective argument saying somebody loves the Lord but doesn't love him enough to guard his word and to properly handle it. Everything he does, but man, I'm telling you, he loves Jesus. Everything I can tell, a supernaturally spirit-filled man. Yeah, I can't look into the guy's heart, but I can compare his doctrine to God's word. Are you going to attack Mark Driscoll? Mark Driscoll, the man who, when told he was going to be removed from teaching at Mars Hill and put under discipline, claims that he received a direct revelation from God that uh, it was a trick and a trap and that God had released him from ministry. This guy is a fugitive from church discipline. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to continue to critique Mark Driscoll. Absolutely. Are you going to attack John Piper? Are you going to attack Mike Bickle? Yeah, Mike Bickle, the guy who says that 80% of the prophecies in the charismatic movement are false, but we still need to keep them. Yeah. So, yeah, so if you attack, if you critique Rick Warren, if you attack Mark Driscoll, if you critique Mike Bickle, yeah, God probably would destroy you, according to Francis Chan. Listen to this next part, though. Are you going to attack some of these expressions in the body of Christ that may look a little... I'm just saying, dude, put that down. I've met these people and I see their hearts. No, you cannot see their hearts. God can see their hearts, but we can't. We can hear their words and compare their doctrine to the Word of God. I hang out with people from these different denominations. I'm like, man, they love Jesus. It looks different from me, but I can see the Spirit in them. So we better be careful. And and I'm I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, God, how come more people aren't dead? Yeah, listen to this. So he asked, God, how come more people aren't dead? (laughs) Seriously. I seriously prayed that. I go, God, I don't get it. You should have struck me dead. And here's what I heard from the Lord. So direct revelation time. This is apparently a prophecy. They haven't been warned. Uh, So now that uh, Francis Chan has received a direct revelation from God saying that 
God has now warned these critics, the people who are critiquing Rick Warren, Driscoll, Mike Bickle, that uh, that now that the warning has gone out, uh, the, these critics are going to start dropping dead like flies, apparently. Yeah, it's weird because what he just said is false on its face. Why would God say they haven't been warned if 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 is meant as a warning to those who would critique other Christians within the body of Christ? That warning was penned 2,000 years ago by the Apostle Paul. Why would God say they haven't been warned if that's what that text actually means? Everybody who's ever read it would have already been warned, and we wouldn't need Francis Chan to tell us that. I think you get the point. Moving along. Chief, babe, what do you want to do tonight? Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. Before each night is done. Their plan will be unfurled By the dawning of the sun They'll take over the world The Pinky and the Brain Yes, Pinky and the Brain Their twilight campaign Is easy to explain To prove their mousy worth They'll overthrow the earth They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain Brain, 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 brain. Starve! All right, Uh, we're going to be sampling John Kilpatrick's Easter sermon and note the themes here. He's going to make a big to-do about the dichotomy between the natural and the spiritual and rightly understanding the resurrection. Let's get to it. Here is John Kilpatrick. I want to speak on the subject of graveyards. Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. You may be seated. I want to talk to you today, I want to speak to you today about your life. I want to speak to you about the one with whom we have to do. The church, the body of Christ worldwide, has great reverence and great respect for Christ who walked the earth 2,000 years ago. We all get nostalgic when we start talking about the Galilean Jesus the son of Mary, the teacher, the rabbi, the miracle worker. We never grow weary of hearing and telling the stories about the greatness of Christ. I chased demons out of people. He stood strong against all temptation. He opened blind eyes. He unstopped the deaf ears. He caused paralytics to leap and walk. He restored withered limbs. He healed leprosy, turned water to wine, 
fed the multitudes with a few loaves and fish, and he raised the dead. Throughout all the years of our experiences, all of us walking with the Lord as believers, we've developed somewhat a distorted theology that has made him the Lord over the spiritual, but not the Lord over the natural. Now, this is where the false dichotomy comes into play. So he's now set the stage. He's going to correct a false theology where apparently Jesus is only the Lord of the supernatural, not the natural. We believe he can forgive sins. We preach it. We believe he can calm nerves and bring peace. We preach it. We believe that he can take away guilt and condemnation. We preach it. And we believe that he can give eternal life. We preach it. All of this happens in the invisible world. All of this happens in the invisible world. Eternal life is invisible. Calming nerves is invisible. and Taking the guilt away. All that's done in the invisible world. So that's sort of where we place Jesus in the invisible world. In the spiritual world, that's where we placed him, and we have allowed him to do spiritual things. But the body of Christ has not fully known the Lord in the natural world. All right, so so now he's making the claim, we haven't fully known Jesus in the natural world. That's bizarre. Our minds are somewhat handicapped. There are so many people that cannot and will not think of Christ as the God of the natural world. The God of our children and their problems. The God of our grandchildren. Can you give me an example of somebody who does that? I'd like to see that in in play. The God of our jobs. The God of our bills and our finances. The Lord and the God of our homes and the Lord of our marriages. Yeah, Again, I don't know any preacher who preaches like that. Don't really tend to think of him as the God over the natural. Paul said in my text that I read to you in Galatians, he said, we need a revelation of the power of Christ since he was raised from the dead. That's the key. That's what I want to we need a revelation of Christ since he was raised from the dead? Is that what Paul said? Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's take a look at this. Uh, Starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, past tense, blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to 
his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained, past tense, an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory." For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Hope, by the way. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Yeah, I'm going to basically say no. When you put that back in context, it's not really saying what John Kilpatrick is trying to make it say. And notice he's trying to make this big to-do about the difference between the the natural and the supernatural, the natural and the spiritual, as if somehow, you know, what Paul's saying here, you got to believe in Jesus for more than just the 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 supernatural or the spiritual. You got to believe in him for the natural as well. That's really not what he was talking about. Talk about today. We need a revelation of the power of Christ since he was raised from the dead. That's where many people trailed off and we went into some kind of a distorted theology that is not really practical in many cases. Even now the Bible says Jesus sits at the right hand of majesty on high in possession of all power, all majesty in heaven and in earth. That's scriptural. And it said that he's put all things under his feet. Ephesians 1.22 said, And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus said he's put all things under his feet. That means everything under his feet. <laughs> so everything under his feet means everything under his feet. I don't. That's not how you explain what something <laughs> means by just merely repeating it without actually explaining it. We continue. And... He has been elevated and exalted over all things to be the head of the church. It takes that title for the church to look to him in all of our needs. He has to be the head of everything. 
He has to be open. Again, who do you know that you can point me to who doesn't look to Jesus for all things? I mean, even Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, which basically means everything we have comes from his hand. And, you know, daily bread includes everything we need for the sustaining of our life and our bodies and things like that. So, I mean, even Jesus taught us to pray for very natural things like daily bread. Everything. And the Bible says in Ephesians one twenty one, it says, He's far above all principality, all power, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. That's the Christ that we have a struggle understanding. Because the Christ of the Gospels, we saw him, we grasped him, we understood him in the Gospels. But after he died on Calvary and you get into the Pauline epistles and you begin to read all this elaborate stuff about him being above all principalities, all powers, being ahead of everything, um, everything's under his feet. We didn't see that in the Gospels. We didn't see that demonstrated in the Gospels. We saw the miracles and we saw him moving about in his life and and we've got that fixated in our minds and we believe it. But this thing about him having all power and he's been raised up above all power to do everything that can possibly be done for his people, our theology is lacking. Yeah, could you give me a salient example of somebody who is teaching in this manner that you say that is lacking? And many times people trail off whenever they get a big enough problem, their faith trails off and disappears like a contrail. And that's weird because Jesus talks about those who, you know, just think of the parable of the different soils, that some fall away because of the cares of this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they obsess on that. Those are like the weeds that choke it out. So, okay, but, I mean, you still really haven't proven your thesis at this point, yet alone proven your point. I'll take a close look at what I feel like is the word that the Lord has given me. For- feel like the word that the Lord has given you, yeah. Uh, God has given us his scriptures, the Holy Bible, all of it in its entirety. He hasn't just given it to you. The service this morning. I want to take a close look today at the resurrection power of Jesus. All right, get to it. That's his most startling power. It transcends our ability to understand really who he is. Okay, that's great. What do you mean by his resurrection power? Exactly what do you mean by that? Transcends that. It's that kind of power that we believe and we know, but we can't quite understand it. So I want to look at some familiar scriptures, and I'm going to go through these fast. Okay. And then I'm going to get down to the core of my message. All right. I want to look at some familiar scriptures so that we can take and receive fresh revelation of his resurrection power. Fresh revelation. 
you're reading the scriptures, uh, this is revelation that came to us 2,000 years ago. I'm glad you're saying 2,000-year-old revelation is fresh. Is that what you meant? John said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that I was coming, and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. This is Jesus speaking in the book of John. He said, As the Father has life in himself, so hath he given the Son to have life in himself. Yes, indeed. Jesus is the, the resurrection and the life. So Jesus is not speaking here just of the final resurrection. He's speaking that he has the power of resurrection, period. Um, how do you figure? I'm a little bit confused as to how you came to that conclusion from John chapter 5. In fact, let's take a look at it. John chapter 5 we're going to apply our three rules, context, context, context. And so we'll go to John 5, 22. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. By the way, he was reading from verse 25 and down. The Father judges no one, has given all judgment to the Son, all so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That's the context, eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So, putting it back into context... Yeah, there's no way that uh, John chapter 5 is saying what John Kilpatrick is trying to make it say. He's making a false dichotomy and twisting this text. Here shall live. This is Jesus speaking in the book of John. He said, as the Father has life in himself, so hath he given the Son to have life in himself. So Jesus is not speaking here just of the final resurrection. He's speaking that he has the power of resurrection, period. So he's revealing and describing his present power to raise up all that has died. All that has died. What has died? You see, here's the bottom line if you want me to get to, cut to the case, get, yeah. cut to the chase and get right. Yeah, there. please do. Just get right to it, would you? To the brass tacks. We all have graveyards. Oh, no. So this is the big groaner at this point. We all have graveyards. Jesus has the power of resurrection over graveyards in our lives. So what's my, what, what are examples of these graveyards? Could you tell me, John? And we have tombstones. In the okay, we got tombstones. Allegorical graveyards and allegorical tombstones, which Jesus is going to allegorically raised from the grave, right? Yards. We have erected tombstones on things that we once loved and cherished and revered. Didn't think we could live without. When you have a loved one, just like this last week, I 
went to a funeral of a megachurch pastor, and two weeks before that, I went to the funeral of another megachurch pastor in New Jersey. And this last funeral that I was a part of last Wednesday night in Jacksonville, the pastor had already picked out what he wanted on his tombstone, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all he wanted on his tombstone. So notice he isn't getting right to it. Yeah, this is weird. What are the graveyards in my life that, you know, and tombstone stuff that Jesus wants to resurrect? So I feel like he's kind of hemming and hawing here. Say he was going to get right to it, and he's not. You see this face of this precious man on the screen. You see him sitting there with his Bible in his arm. And you see what the tombstone says, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the way we do with things that we love. We put tombstones up and we put inscriptions on those tombstones and we commemorate what we once had, what we once enjoyed, past greatness. Tombstone actually means between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, could you show me the thing that says that? I, which dictionary calls says that tombstone means a thing that's between a rock and a hard place? I'd like to see that from a legitimate dictionary. That's what a tombstone actually means, between a rock and a hard place. There's some people that have actually put up tombstones on things in your life that you've given up on. Such as. So here's the, the, the resurrection power of Jesus is going to raise these things that we've erected tombstones to. What are they, John? And you've considered them finished. And over with. And you gave up on them, many of them, a long time ago. Such as? You buried them. What did I bury? You inscribed the date of the death of what it was that died in your life. Okay, what exactly are you talking about? Where once you had a strong, faithful marriage. A marriage that flourished. A marriage that was... So Jesus is going to raise dead marriages. Okay. Hired by other people. And they wanted their marriage to be like your marriage. Now there's a tombstone standing there. Uh-huh. Relationships that have died. So the dead relationships. Jesus is going, resurrection power, raise them up. Which text says that again? Because you're really misapplying all of the biblical texts that you've quoted so far. Someone that you love a relationship that you really needed. You loved talking with them on the phone. You loved emailing. You loved going on vacations together. You loved this person. The best of friends, the closest of loved ones. Someone that you really enjoyed. Someone you had sweet fellowship with. Someone that you cooked together and ate together broke bread together, and for whatever reason, whatever reason, it doesn't matter what the reason, something happened, mm -hmm. and the relationship died, and to this day, you're still grieving over what once was. There's things that you've given up on and washed your hands to. Many have buried their dreams. Oh, no. I, oh, I've, I've buried a dream, and I'm so thankful for the resurrection power of Jesus that's going to 
Raise my dead dreams. This is absurd. Yeah, I think you get the point. Yeah, it, it, you can see Kilpatrick didn't quite make the cut, but this is another type of really bad Easter sermon that misses the whole point of the uh, resurrection and is actually twisting the uh, the account of the resurrection and the accounts of Jesus' raising from the grave and the powerful working of God and mightily raising him from the grave and somehow applying it to say that misapplying it to basically try to make the point that oh god's going to raise your dead dreams and your dead relationships it's all total nonsense that's not what well resurrection sunday is about nor does it promise that at all in any of those texts all right we're up on our second break if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. When we come back, contestant number two in the worst Easter sermon of the year contest. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No visions are cast here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society and it's it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at Gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Yeah. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to Gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. To err 
is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Well into it. Contestant number two. Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest 2018. Hope you're sitting down. This one could be aggravating. And I do not believe this man is a believer. No way. You'll see why in a minute. Hey, ho! We got the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Eastlake Community Church. Ryan Meeks presiding. Name of the sermon is Road to Resurrection. And uh, yeah, just hang on to your hats. This is just one of the most contentious manglings and denials of the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus that you've probably heard in a while. We've covered them before, but uh, this is a particular type of resurrection sermon. It's not a resurrection sermon at all is kind of the point. So let me go ahead and back off on the music, and without any further ado, here is Ryan Meeks and Road to Resurrection. Here we go. I had a... Uh, an April Fool's joke to play on you guys today. But my wife did one on the boys this morning that didn't go well. Uh, she told them, oh, you know, we can't do the Easter egg hunt because Grandma and Grandpa aren't feeling well, so we're just going to stay home and have tuna fish and broccoli. <laughs> and I guess the, my little, my two littlest were just crying. She's like, oh, just kidding. <laughs> so let me tell you what I was going to do to you today, which I probably would have laughed through anyway, but I, after hearing that story of my boys, I was like, I don't want to stress anybody out. But So what I was going to do was say, well, guys, uh, I hate to start off so somber, but <laughs> I can already tell I would have never been able to do it. But that, you know, this is our last Sunday as a church. Um, the IRS has uh, hit us with a bunch of back taxes because they found out that we're not a real church. So, <laughs> and then it would have been April. Yeah, that, that, there's too much truth in there for there to really be an April Fool. The IRS may not be involved, but you kind of get my point. You'll see it in, in as the sermon develops. April Fools, they still don't know. So, yeah. is this being recorded? Okay. All right. Well, happy Easter. Let's jump in. What actually happened to Jesus of Nazareth 2,000 years ago cannot be known. Yeah, actually it can. The eyewitnesses record and tell us, and this is from Scripture, that uh, Jesus rose bodily from the grave. So uh, I would beg to differ with you, but uh, yeah, we can know because... Scripture tells us. There are three positions to hold here. Yes, it did. No, it didn't. And I don't know. And if you're going to be intellectually honest with yourself, everyone has to admit the third position. Uh, You know, we don't really know. Um, 
And I think there can be some very extreme positions. You know, Easter's such a hard holiday because I never know who's going to want, who's trying to figure out, are you a heretic? Yes, we've established that. Um, or, you Glad know, you admit it. Or whatever, whatever extreme position. And one extreme position is, now, I know this happened. It was a literal historical thing that happened. Yeah, and, extreme position. Extreme like the Apostle Paul, right? Yeah, that guy. He, really a big extremist. And there's this other really extreme position that says, oh, come on. <laughs> no, it didn't happen. Um, and the whole story is ridiculous. Let's move past this. And today, I want to bother both of you, uh, if you fall into those. And I want to invite you to a higher perspective, a different... Oh, he's going to take us higher than this literal resurrection stuff. So glad he's going to set us free from literalism when it comes to the bodily resurrection of Jesus. You know, when you want to see something, right? You like get on your friend's shoulders and you want to be able to have a higher view. In fact, it's interesting, the... Uh, Greek word for repent that often gets translated to the English word repent is metanoia. And I've talked about it means turn around. But actually, if you look at the etymology of it in the Greek, it's metanoia. It's two words, really, and that is higher mind. So I want to invite you to raise your consciousness as it relates to the story of resurrection. Is there a higher truth and a deeper truth underneath this? Yeah, it's so much deeper than the literal resurrection of Jesus, right? Actually might transform the world. That's my suggestion. Anyhow, you get to decide for yourself. Yeah, just a reminder, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 literally says that if Christ has not been raised from the grave, then uh, your faith is futile. Yeah, <laughs> this is what he says, 1 Corinthians 15, 14. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain, and we are found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this guy seems to know better than the Apostle Paul, who, by the way, was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit there. Um, is Easter... I did a little video. I don't know how many of you saw it. Um, some some uh, friends of mine were concerned. <laughs> but uh, I did a little video talking about, hey, I'm going to talk about Easter. And, you know, I spent 10 years of my life um, as an evangelical megachurch pastor saying... You know, get your friends here so I can convince them to believe in a propositional truth claim about history that they need to believe in their heads. Like, that's the most important thing. they got to believe this thing. Yeah, that's weird because true faith is not just mere assent to factual history. The devil assents that Jesus rose bodily from the grave. True faith affirms that, you know, believes that Jesus rose bodily from the grave and the whole purpose for it is for the forgiveness of our sins. You don't have true saving faith until, number one, you have a knowledge of the facts, you assent to the facts, but that doesn't, that's still not saving faith. Saving faith says not only did Jesus die and rise again, he did so for me for the forgiveness of my sins. And I asked the question in the video, is that what it really is ultimately about? I mean, that nagging question in my head wouldn't leave me alone over time until eventually that idea kind of crumbled for me. Is this just really the Christian holiday where Christians get together and say, we're right, don't forget, you know? Is it, is it the moment when we all say, you know what, thank goodness we're in and everyone's welcome to come convert and embrace our worldview and make sure that they're on our team. Yeah, that's weird. Repentance is a vital part of what 
Christianity has always preached. In fact, Jesus himself in Luke 24 says that repentance and the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations. And so when we talk about repentance, it's always talked about in Scripture as repentance from something to something, repentance of sins, trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance is like saying, God, you're right, I was wrong. Yeah, that's it's kind of how that works. And so it's strange here. Um, Christianity has always been about bringing people to repentance, repentance of their idolatry, their false gods, their immorality, things like that. Our God's the best, our way is the best, and if you don't, there's actually a threat, which these days gets played down a lot because it's not quite as exciting and inviting to folks when you say, gee, God loves you, unless you don't love him back, then he's going to kill you, which is a little bit more like a flashback to junior high, right? Oh my God, I love him so much. He doesn't like me. Screw him, right? Yeah, that's a total ad hominem against God himself. Let me read another text of scripture. Yeah, I told you this guy was going to get under your skin. John chapter 3, the Apostle John, who describes, by the way, Jesus as, you know, and God himself as love, uh, says this uh, regarding, uh, you know, the the gospel and things of that nature. He says, um, whoever, John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And yet it is John who, in First John, says that God is love. Yes, yeah, weird. Um, notice this guy's giving us his opinions and philosophies, but he's not actually giving us biblical revelation of what God's Word says. God is that God, because there is, throw a rock, you will find a church that is preaching a message of that, of God's great love. And you must believe a particular thing about a historical propositional truth claim. And if you don't, there is no bigger threat that I've ever heard besides eternal conscious torment uh, that awaits those who are the unbelievers. And I want to challenge this idea that everything about my life and your life comes down to what you believe in your mind about a supposed event 2,000 years ago that you did. Again, misrepresentation of what true saving faith is. It is not mere assent to historical propositions. That's part of it. Experience cannot verify and cannot disprove. The danger of reducing the Easter story to that is that if Easter is all about the content of your mind, then living in love becomes a detail instead of the point. And what do we say around here? Life is a gift, and love is the point. So when the story gets reduced to... Yeah, by the way, love is the summary of the law. The law is basically concisely summarized by Jesus as love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So I, I point that out because... It's weird because he's going to basically key in on love, and love is not the gospel. Love is law. Content of your mind. Then living in love is like something that is just a detail. Now, I people push back like, no, Christianity is totally about love. It's all about love. But it's also you have to believe this thing. And I'm saying, fine, but let's just admit that the most important thing in this mainstream modern version of American Christianity The most important thing is what you believe. If you get around to living a life of love, good, positive, we're gonna, we're gonna kinda hold you to that, like please live a good life. But really, the most important thing, I brought it up under this understanding, is that you believe something that 
frankly. I mean, if somebody came to you and was like, hey, did you hear about the guy in Oregon who died and three days later came back? I'd be like, no, and I don't believe you. You know, It's not something that immediately elicits a response to our understanding of how the universe works. Which is why it's so important that the Gospels contain eyewitness testimony. Mm -hmm. It it does. Hit you as preposterous in any other setting unless you grew up in the tradition. And so we have to admit that. Like, this is a preposterous story, and what we do with it is important. Yeah, it's weird to hear somebody who calls himself a pastor speak this way about the resurrection accounts of Christ. Mm -hmm. An unbeliever, sure, no problem. Pastors? No, they actually need to be believers. This guy doesn't sound like one at all. I think a lot of people are not interested in the message of the church these days because it is fixated on... You know, a lot of people feel like, I can't check my brain at the door to be... Yeah, by the way, that's not it at all. No. People are born dead in trespasses and sins. Yeah, and they're already at war with God. People are not driven away because we proclaim Christ raised from the grave. No, that's ridiculous. Nope, not at all. In fact, faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ, and you're not preaching it. ...of this thing. I, I, I just... I, I'm not against the resurrection. I just cannot lie to you or myself that I believe that it occurred. And But is that... So he, he knows what he just said. He just admitted he doesn't believe it occurred. Yeah. Does that matter? Is that the point of the story? You'd, you'd think it was the main point, the way churches teach it. You'd think, you know, some of you may know the story. Guy comes to Jesus says, what's it all about? He says, he gives him like the cliff notes, right? He's like the guy in class. You know, that kid in class, it was me. Is this going to be on the test? (laughs) Because I'd like to fall asleep again. Um, You know, tell me just what I have to know. This is what the guy asked Jesus. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And does anybody know? Love your neighbor as yourself. But you'd think if you've ever been to an Easter service that Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and believe I physically rose from the grave and ascended to him. Yeah, you're twisting that text, by the way. Let's take a look at it, Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to take a look. Is uh, is really that is Jesus saying that's what it's all about, and somehow Matthew 22 is pitted against the resurrection of Christ? Yeah, that's not what's going on at all. So uh, Matthew chapter 22, uh, when the, uh, verse 34, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, uh, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and uh, this is the first and greatest commandment, and a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so this is just the summary of the law, but the law is not the gospel. The law is the thing that actually condemns you because you do not love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you do not love your neighbor perfectly as yourself. So uh, we got a problem here is that this guy is keying in on the very thing that condemns us because Romans chapter 3 says that the purpose of the law is is to silence us and make us accountable to God. And by works of the law, no human being will be declared righteous in God's sight because through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's Romans chapter 3. 
So this guy is just theologically a total mess, and he's preaching la, 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 while denying a core component of the gospel. And you're sitting here, how do you figure? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 again, early on in that chapter, Paul writes this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you stand, at which you received, and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And by the way, Paul makes it clear in Galatians. He received the gospel from Jesus Christ himself, that Christ died for our sins. This is the gospel, by the way, in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. You see, the resurrection of Christ is a core component of the gospel itself, and it's part of the proclamation of Christ died for the forgiveness of our sins and rose again from the grave. And so Paul then says in Galatians chapter 1 to the Galatians, he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be damned, anathema. And so you're going to note that uh, our... uh, our sermonizer today, Mr. Ryan Meeks, he is denying the bodily resurrection of Christ and proclaiming the law, love, as the gospel. He's preaching a totally different gospel altogether, and as a result of it, he's te- he technically actually falls under the anathema of Galatians chapter 1. By the way, Paul goes on to say, Says He says it twice, as we have said before, so now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be damned. So, uh, yeah, this guy's got a major uh, problem. He is literally a heretic. But it's it. That's not it. In fact, as the New Testament goes onward, you'll find people saying this again and again, getting to this Cliff's Notes. Here's what it all matters. All the law and the prophets, everything hangs on this. The scriptures, you want to know what it's all about. And they keep bottom lining it. And you know what they say? Love your neighbor as yourself. They- the bottom lining the law, the bottom line of the law is love. And that's the problem. We don't keep it. That's why we need the gospel. The gospel says Christ died for our sins. For every time we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves and love God with all of our heart. Drop the love God part, even. You see this in Galatians, you see it in Paul's letters, it's in James. It's about, look, you want to know, look, if you don't want to read the book, it's a long book, by the way. Just know, it seems like the point is to love your neighbor as yourself. And my concern is when we reduce Easter to mental content about a historical proposition. Nobody does that, by the way. you That's a total straw man ad hominem argument. Then we put in the details living in a loving way. And when I look at the world today, we need less people with conviction about the past events and more people with a deep courage to live in a loving way. Because living in a loving way could cost you. It could look like you're being crucified. Oh, it could look like you're being crucified. Forget Jesus being crucified. Who cares about that? Yeah. When Jesus says, take up your cross, you'd think he would have said, take up up your belief that I died on the cross. Like, what do we... False dichotomy. I thought Jesus paid it all. Like, he's like, take up your cross. I'm like, no, you paid it all. I'm I'm good. You know, I appreciate 
what you did. I don't want to have to do it. But that's not the story. We're as in- if somehow believing the gospel means that you're not going to love your neighbor as yourself or bear fruit in keeping with repentance. This guy is, I'm sorry, it, this guy is straight up demonic and satanic. To participate. This guy is a full-blown antichrist. If you really want to hang on to that extreme position of like, it's definitely true, I know it's true. and it- Yeah, like Jesus, you know, touch my hands and see, or the apostle Paul you know, if if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile and your, your faith is vain. He doesn't believe it's going to hell. Don't learn anything about history, especially religious history. Don't learn that much of what we call our Christian story uh, preceded it. I mean, it, don't read the Enuma Elish. Don't read the ancient sacred texts that predate scriptures. Don't learn about Thulis. Uh, in Egypt, about 2,000, almost 2,000 years before Christ, who died a violent death, was buried, arose, ascended to heaven. Yeah, this is a false teaching, by the way. I actually covered this. Uh, remember the movie Zeitgeist? Yeah, when that thing came out, I literally, um, I, I literally covered this and debunked the whole movie Zeitgeist. So go back into the archives of Fighting for the Faith and type in Zeitgeist and find that episode. We, uh, we totally addressed that judge the dead and the souls of the future and was resurrected to help the underprivileged don't learn about Tammuz of mesopotamia 1200 years before christ who was killed but offered atonement as he rose from the grave indra of tibet nailed to a cross four wounds on his hands and feet and pierced in his side mithras of persia popular around 600 bce crucified on a tree to atone for the sins of all humanity to take away the sins of the world he along with a half dozen others were born on december 25th ishtar astarte ashtaroth these are all similar uh, names for uh, a particular goddess, Ishel, Osiris, Dionysus, Krishna, many of whom were conceived by a virgin, born in a cave, threatened with Again, death. Again, this is all just bogus, bogusness. Yeah, this guy, is, this guy has been listening to Zeitgeist, which I've totally debunked, and other people have as well. Babies and adored as having saved the world with their suffering. Now, my point is not to then say, like, remember these extreme positions? This guy over here is going, see, he's on my team. <laughs> Ridiculous. Let's move past this. And I'm not also saying to shame this person. See, you don't know. I just, you should be aware. Or maybe if you don't want to have your, the way you see your faith challenged, then just ignore all that. Be like, that's not true. <laughs> just say fake news. You know, whatever. Okay, fine. <laughs> my point is this. This archetype that the divine dies and rises has been embedded in the human psyche. It is a part of our very consciousness, and it returns and returns and returns. Why must the human psyche, why must the human spirit continue to tell this story? And we have come to actually live in a time right now. We know that the universe is expanding in every direction at the speed of light. I mean, the universe is begging us to enter into a spirituality of astonishment because of what we're fighting. No, it's not. And there's a reticence to do it. How sad. Science only continues to expand our understanding of whatever ultimacy means. Or you might use the word God there. But we have come to live in a time when it's not just a spiritual thing to say that there's a cycle of death, burial, resurrection. It's scientific. The atoms in your body are forged in ancestral stars that gave their life away to create. Mm, right, so I'm the product of ancestral stars, not God's unique creation. This guy's not a believer. He has no business being a pastor. This man is leading all of these people to hell. That is, the periodic table of elements. It's incredible. So yes, it's a metaphor. It's a pattern, though, that we all live. Have you ever been at like a friend's house and you know, 
they're there with their partner and one of them's trying to tell a story and the other partner keeps interrupting with details to correct the details and the details do not matter. You ever been there? Oh, it wasn't April, babe. It was, it was March. And you're like, it could have been August on Mars. It doesn't matter. Shut up. Right. Let her tell the story. Right. This is how I feel so often about all this petty religious squabbles or sometimes people want to take me to task about with the Bible, this, the Bible, that. They're like, well, the Bible says, I'm like, the Bible says a lot of crazy things. Look, the New Testament, Paul's like, nature shows us, obviously, that men should have short hair. <laughs> what? You know, come on. It's fine. Let, let the human writers of the Bible express themselves. But there's something going on here. The Bible is a, a collection. It's, it's a travel dialogue of human consciousness moving forward people are like it's so regressive of course it is no it's a revelation in fact jesus himself made it clear that that moses actually wrote god's word it is not a travel log of human consciousness jesus opposes you in your views this is from thousands of years ago but many of this many of these things were progressive in their time remember two weeks ago you can go back this is actually the third week of the series I talked about how you can't stack up a bunch of boxes, climb to the top, and then look back and go, those dumb boxes, I'm above that now. Like, we are standing on a foundation of the evolution of human consciousness as we grow in a greater and deeper understanding of morality. As we grow, as the spiritual traditions are supposed to do, help us expand our circles of compassion ever wider, beyond self to family to tribe and beyond. And even Jesus takes it further than his own tradition. It says, you've heard it said, to love your neighbor as yourself. I say, love your enemies and forgive those who hurt you. See, this is always pulling forward. But, the, but too often, it's about this religious squabble. It's about, let me correct the details. And it's like, who cares? Forget about the details. I, I was really caught up. Yeah, that's weird. You're saying who cares about the details, yet you've spent your entire sermon basically saying the details aren't even real. Why are you debating the details while saying don't debate the details? You've literally taken an opposing view of the details. When I read the Bible twice through uh, in 2009, I'd done it before, but I was like, really, like, I got to get into this because I'm having a lot of issues. And when I got to the Gospels, I kept reading them over and over. I'm like, these don't agree. Like everything I was trained in Bible college was like, just this, let's skim over that. And then when I got into it, I'm like, they don't agree. But I got lost in the details instead of the headline. That this cycle, death, burial, resurrection, to die to the small self is to be risen in a higher consciousness. To live ultimately in love. Now, I'll give you an example of this. This is from the Old Testament. The prophet Isaiah is speaking here. And this is supposed to be the, the voice of God. And again, please don't hear me saying that I am advocating that whenever the Old Testament says God says something, that it's God. That's insane. Read a bunch of stuff where God's like slaughter the, uh, the men, women, and children, and even the animals, you know, stuff like that. Like, yeah, it's weird. Jesus affirmed that the Old Testament is the word of God, the prophets and the Torah. In all of its entirety, he gave a carte blanche statement that that is God's word. God, but this is how people are projecting themselves onto God. But listen to this progressive text for the ancient world. God is saying, stop bringing worthless offerings. Your incense repulses me. New moon, Sabbath, and the calling of an assembly. These rituals, right? I can't stand wickedness with celebration. I hate, hate your new moons and your festivals. We've become a, uh, they've become a burden that I'm tired of bearing. When you extend your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even when you pray a long time, I won't listen. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even going to listen to you. you know? 
whoa, this is pretty harsh. Your hands are stained with blood. Wash, be clean, remove your ugly deeds from my sight. What's going on here? If you don't know the, the section, it's only, by the way, chapter one. God's really getting into it on the opener. It's, all, one of the, it's the longest book in the Bible. Verse 17, here's clearly what this God is critiquing. He says, learn to do good. Seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Exactly. They were just going through the religious motions and cared nothing for their neighbors. They only cared for themselves. So I don't like your religious gatherings. They make me sick to my stomach. I'm not listening to you. What's the critique then? Here's what you need to do. Seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. And so how does that somehow oppose belief in the bodily resurrection of Jesus? Hmm? That's a pretty progressive text in an ancient world of placating the gods. Let's have more services. Let's make more sacrifices. Yeah, God wasn't advocating social justice warriorism, you know, and, and that doctrine doesn't matter. That's not what's going on in that text. And this understanding of God says, well, essentially, your religion is a thin veil for your selfishness and apathy. Go heal the world. That's the no. That's not a. That's not what he's saying. He's calling them to repent. Read the rest of Isaiah over and again, through the prophet Isaiah. God is calling idolatrous Israel to repent and to be forgiven, saying, "Return, I will forgive you. I will wash away your sins." So, as always, you can. I mean, we don't organize around belief here. You don't have to agree with me. We have a lot of different perspectives, but. I'm talking today, so I'll talk about what I think. It doesn't matter. Yeah, he's talking about what he thinks, not what God's Word says. What do you think about the resurrection? If you're like, what? Throw a rock, hit a church, they'll preach something different. Um, It doesn't matter. Too often what passes for Christianity these days is cheap and thin. It's about beliefs. Let me tell you something. People have believed in a literal resurrection, worshipped in their churches on Easter Sunday, and then midweek got out and sold human beings at auction. They've preached Easter messages and then raped children in their parish. Uh huh. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, it, this, the church is full of sinners, indeed. In fact, many of them have done egregious things, but that does not negate the fact that Jesus rose bodily from the grave. That the Apostle Paul says, "If Christ has not been raised, your faith is in vain." And that Jesus himself invited his disciples, the eyewitnesses, to touch his body, see his hands, put their fingers inside of his pierced side, all of those things. Yeah, you're pitting somehow the fact that despite the fact that we are forgiven sinners and that people are preaching the resurrection of Christ, that they still have a sinful nature and that they have fallen into temptations of the devil and their own sinful flesh as well as the world. It does still happen, and it will happen until Christ returns. It read their scriptures and slaughtered Native Americans because of their manifest destiny, God-ordained, drowned so-called witches, tortured the unbelievers and heretics, the adults in our own country who just decades ago were screaming venom at little ruby bridges while we started integrating our schools. They went to Easter in their Sunday best. Believing correct theology is irrelevant when it comes to be Uh, being a good person. Yeah, no. It's actually, Scripture again disagrees with you. Timothy was admonished by Paul to guard both his doctrine and his life. 
It's both. It's not either or. You, so you can sit there and say how you know how you're going to be a Christian while denying everything that Christianity teaches, and somehow only focus in on the repentant life of love. But you have no power to call anybody to repentance because you are denying the actual historical, factual foundation of Christianity, which it is built on. It is Christianity is inextricably linked to these historical events. And you're just sitting there saying, ah, that doesn't matter, I'm just going to love. It does matter, because the Apostle Paul makes it clear it matters. And he wrote Scripture, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Beliefs do not make you a better person. Your behavior does. We know this. We know. No, actually, that's not true. Behavior doesn't make you a better person. No, it doesn't. This. Healthy religion, healthy spirituality at its root is not about beliefs or creeds or rituals. It's not about your new moons and Sabbath convocations. Blech. Total twisting of Isaiah 1. I'm bored of them, says love. No. Healthy spirituality is a courageous philosophical search for meaning and reality. No, actually, the Apostle Paul warns us about philosophy, and it sounds to me like you've fallen sway to postmodern philosophy. Colossians chapter 2 specifically says, See to it that no one takes you captive, verse 8, by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Christ the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. You have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the flesh, the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So there in Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul warns against philosophy according to human tradition and reaffirms the bodily resurrection of Christ and says that we have been united with him in both his death and his resurrection. Strange. Our faith should challenge our penchant for violence. Our faith should challenge our passive acceptance of nonstop warfare, our indifference about the poor and the addicted who live all around us. Our faith should make us live lives that are congruent with what is of ultimate concern to us, what our values are. And on this Easter weekend, when so many churches are packed with people who have come to be told, once again, that Jesus died for your sins, was raised by God so that you could be in heaven forever. Uh, which is what the Apostle Paul says is the gospel that he received from Christ. Again, see 1 Corinthians 15. Today, I invite you today to set aside that very self-centered, self-serving religious message and to think about the story of... So the gospel is self-serving, is a self-serving religious message. Yet the Apostle Paul said that gospel, the one you just knocked, was the one he received from Jesus. Yeah, weird, because, you know, it's like, who am I going to believe? Am I going to believe, well, the Apostle Paul, who made it clear that he received his gospel from Christ... Or am I going to believe this guy who basically has just said that the gospel itself is a selfish, self-serving message? Galatians chapter 1, by the way, verse 11, Paul writes, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that, I, that was preached by me is not man's gospel. And you find it laid out in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, opening verses. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Yeah, Jesus gave Paul his apostle, and you just called that very gospel that, that Paul received from Christ selfish and self-serving. This man is a little antichrist. Make 
No mistake about it. Direction in a new way. I do not, and, and, and like I said, and those of you who are like, it's a ridiculous story, we need to move past it. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm actually, I'm actually suggesting today that the Jesus narrative is incredibly relevant and possibly never been more important to embrace than in this moment in human history. As long as we embrace it as a non-factual, non-historical myth. I do not believe that the, a substitutionary death or this, like, God who needed a blood sacrifice. Yeah, that's weird because the prophet Isaiah, who you quoted earlier, it, you know, you quoted Isaiah chapter 1, that same prophet, Isaiah, writing about Jesus Christ, says this, verse Isaiah 53, verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, and we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and Yahweh, the Lord, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yeah, strange. Why do you quote Isaiah chapter 1 and deny Isaiah 53? Don't you think that's a little bit inconsistent? For the promise of uh, eternal life is what resurrection was about, nor do I believe that it was what the early disciples thought it was about. Um, I don't think that line of thinking is going to find many adherents in the future of our world, though for now... Hogwash. Hogwash. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. God's going to continue to raise people from the dead, spiritually and physically, through the proclamation of the very gospel that you are denying that, that thought is very radical to many people, or so I've been yelled at about. The German philosopher Schopenhauer observed this 200 years ago. All truth passes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, when it starts to grow, it is violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as being self-evident. Okay. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. All truth. Yeah, Schopenhauer sounds like an irrational philosopher to me. Don't be those modern, arrogant people who look back at the past like, I can't believe those people didn't get it, and then assume that we do, that there's no blind spots. Every generation looks back with their disdain about, I can't believe they didn't get it, okay? I'm assuming, and I certainly hope this is true, if not, heads up, slavery was horrid. It was wrong always. It didn't, God didn't like change his mind a couple hundred years ago, okay? It was just wrong. And so when the Old Testament commands it and the new testament condones it i say flush them both and and in in commitment to the jesus narrative of progressive revelation of love you must reject those right yeah okay we're okay to do this okay that's absolutely important but you know why we can have a gathering like this and i can know so notice his reason stands over the scriptures and tells you what you can accept and what you can reject it's whatever is offensive to you you can reject that part of the scriptures yet the apostle paul says that all scripture is god breathed every last word of it this guy like i said is a small antichrist we continue all or at least the majority believe that that's true it's always wrong well you're standing on the rising consciousness of prior generations in this country, that wasn't self-evident first. Uh, that's ridiculous. Christians have always believed that Christ rose bodily from the grave. They've always believed the accounts of the apostles. 
going all the way back to the earliest converts to Christianity. Ridiculed first, supported in the churches with Bible texts, and then it was violently opposed. We fought the bloodiest civil war over that. And so I'm going to suggest some things, like I already have, that it doesn't matter what you think about the crucifixion. That might be ridiculed, and I certainly have been suggesting some things over the past few years to my rapidly diminishing megachurch <laughs> that get violently opposed. But I am telling you, as we move into the future of a much more healed and peaceful world, hopefully, we'll talk about that in a little bit, uh, these things are going to be self-evident. I think that's kind of our role at Eastlake. I feel, I feel like we are in the tradition of the prophets and Jesus. Hopefully we're trying to. No, you're not. You totally deny both. When we are speaking truth to power. This no, that you, this is nonsense. This is social justice warrior gobbledygook. So it doesn't work for everyone. This is wrong. That's our job. It's kind of like we're, we, we go up to the top of Hogwarts and yell, Voldemort, Voldemort, Voldemort. Right? Because everyone, everyone in the religious world is like, Shh, you can't say that. You can't say it doesn't matter what you think about the resurrection. Voldemort! I'm going to say it. This is an iconoclastic church. We are here to smash the idols that keep people in prison. This church is poison for bad ideas. I hope to round up. So notice the resurrection is a bad idea. Unhelpful theology in your psyche. I'm going to spray that poison everywhere. That's just what we're about. Because sometimes Jesus is one of those idols that we need to smash. When we decide that we only worship Jesus, we fail to become him. Really? Yeah, that's weird. First commandment, you will have no other gods before me. And that law that you kept talking about literally says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm -hmm. Yeah, first commandment is you will have no other gods before me. He is inviting us to become like him, so radically connected to source and love that we can live by transcending our need to self-protect and give ourselves away. That's love. Jesus was a preacher of radical compassion, a, pro a prophet, trying to reform his own Jewish tradition, not to start a new religion. Yeah, Jesus is none other than God in human flesh, born of the Virgin Mary. He stood up to the religious authorities who were condemning everyone who wasn't as pious as they were. And he stood up to the empire that kept his people, and they kept an economic system that enslaved and impoverished his people, and his message of defiance and radical compassion got him killed. I believe that... The so this is Jesus as Martin Luther King. ...killed him to shut him up. And the religious leaders of guilt and shame and piety walked away from his tomb thinking they had ended that message once and for all. Nice and tidy. Bye-bye, Jesus. But I believe his followers believed that what Jesus had to say had a life that could not be held in a tomb. And that truth he represented couldn't be judged by some high priest. They experienced something in the living presence of Jesus among them, and they were willing to follow his example, even if it led to their own deaths, rather than to cower in the face of Rome's cross and the tomb. Yeah, that's weird. They claimed that they were eyewitnesses to the bodily resurrection of Jesus and were martyred for that claim. I believe... That resurrection means that even if you kill Jesus, good news will rise. Even if you kill Gandhi and murder Dr. King and imprison Mandela, there are things... That Told you this was uh, Martin Luther King. I forgot to mention Gandhi and Mandela, yeah. This guy is turned Jesus into the first prototypical social justice type guy. Prisons and graves cannot hold. The point is this. All that dies for love rises in love. 
all that died. Yeah, that's not the point at all. Jesus rose bodily from the grave. For love rises in love. This is Jesus is radically critiquing something that we still, 2,000 years ago, haven't grown out of this consciousness, which is the myth of redemptive violence. What they do to us, well, we'll bomb them. And they're like, what'd you do to us? We'll bomb you. And we're like, what? How could you do that? We'll bomb you. Another word for this is human history. Okay, this is what we've been doing, and it doesn't work. But we are still fixated by it. We love it. We worship it. This is true. We worship war in this country. It's always holy. It's ridiculous. And it's wrong. And it's something that Jesus is critiquing. To give his life away instead of fight back is to critique the power system. So, yeah, Jesus, by dying on the cross, was sticking it to the Caesar man. Yeah, man. I refuse to do this. And this happens in small ways. Even couples that split up. Oh, what'd you tell the kids about me? I'm going to tell this about you. Right? A little too personal? <laughs> okay. Somebody has to step off the crazy cycle and absorb the pain and not say, I'm going to keep spinning violence out again and again. All that dies for love will rise in love. It is time for Christianity to wake up to the actual message of Jesus, to recognize that this exclusivism that we keep holding on to is just a way to make ourselves feel better and more superior. This happened right away. First 10 years of the church, the first 10 years of the church, they believed 99% of human history was excluded. And then, read in Acts, then they start fighting. First it was ridiculed, then it's violently opposed. They're fighting over, Paul wants to bring all these non-Jews in. No way. The Jesus thing is about us. It's our tribe only. Then they fight about it, and then what happens? The fences move out a little bit more. Gentiles are in. And actually, it ends up growing so fast that pretty soon, by the time the Gospel of John is written... Read- this is Jürgen Moltmann's theory. Here's some sort of anti-Judaism lines. It's almost flipped now. Oh, it's the Jews that were the problem. You know, see how quickly that happened. So we're, we expanded the circles a little bit, but now there's a new line. They're out. And then it's, let's go on crusades because it's the Muslims that we got to get rid of. So, they'll, they'll, so they're out. Some of you grew up in churches where it was the divorced people. They're the problem. And all of a sudden, oh, half the church is divorced. This will hurt attendance. Divorced people, come on in. It's no big deal anymore, right? You see this? The church is like, just kidding. God changed his mind. No. We are just always holding it. Grace is only for a couple people. Inclu- yeah, no, Christ died for the sins of the world, and what you're saying is nonsense. It's not even an accurate depiction of human history or church history. It's only for these people. I, what? Maybe 15 years ago, it was like... It's like this guy got his theology from a 15-year-old or something. People have to become straight. Send them to that camp. And now they're like, ooh, that was so horrific. Never mind, you don't have to become straight, but you can't have a partner. Garbage. We just keep eking out just a little bit more. Not, we don't want everybody in. Just close the door just behind us. Can we be done with this? In a world in conflict, can we be done drawing stupid lines, speaking for God as if we have any clue what that word even means? This has got to be over. Yeah, this is weird, yet you claim that you know better than the word of God. Huh. Christianity today is like somebody who claims that the sixth sense is their favorite movie, but never realized Bruce Willis is dead the whole time. I'm like, it's my favorite. Yeah, it's cool. Bruce Willis is dead the whole time. What do you mean? How can you say it's your favorite movie? If love isn't the entire point, then you're missing it. 
If you're like, yeah, love's fine, but don't forget, Jesus rose from the dead, and if you don't believe that, you're going to hell. I'm like, what movie are you watching? Bruce was dead! The whole time! That's why it's a good movie! You're missing it. Easter is about love. Who cares what you think about it? Are you loving? Is it making you more loving? How is it loving to lie to people about what God says in his word? Hmm? To deny Jesus' bodily resurrection. How is that loving? How, in fact, you're breaking the, like, the whole first table of the law. Remember, the whole law and prophets, hang on, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yet you're lying about God and you are blaspheming and you are not holding his word sacred at all. You are literally blaspheming and saying things that are not true about God. How is that loving? Are you able to realize that when you react in anger that that was not? How does he not see the arrogance of his position? You, it's making you less human as you try to dehumanize another. If it opens you up to your mistakes to your own darkness and hatred instead of having to put it on a scapegoat again and again. We're like, yes, people crucified Jesus because they couldn't stand his message. We do this. We're always trying to look for somebody to crucify. They're the problem. They're the problem. It's the immigrants. It's the people who aren't in my religion. It's the gays. It's whatever else. This has got to end. This immaturity. And says the man who literally sounds like a 12-year-old. Spiritual traditions are failing us at this right now. They're only serving to cut up the world even more. They're out. They're not part of our thing. They're the problem. Our way is the best. Your way is wrong. Our God's the winner. And yet he's saying his way is the best, and those who believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus, their way is wrong. He is literally making that point. How does he not see the hypocrisy of his own position? Your God is nothing, and the world suffers. But when we are ready to die to the small self, love will resurrect us. When you're ready to let go and realize you know nothing, but that you can cling to love as redemptive enough, that all that matters is love, all the pettiness and the hate and the hurt, it's meaningless. The only thing that matters. I mean, Dave, you and I know this. Says the one who hates God's word and what it reveals and says. Doing so many memorials over the years, people get to the end of their life and they realize really quickly, sometimes very painfully, nothing else matters. Love is all that matters. Why have I wasted so much time doing anything else? Friends, if you hear one thing today, hear this. Who and what do you love and what are you doing about it? Because today you can go resurrect that life that you are wasting. on Nonsense. Nonsense. Anything that's less than that. What and who and what do you love and what are you doing about it? Mary Oliver, one of my favorite poets, says this. Can one... Be passionate about the just, the ideal, the sublime, the holy, and yet commit to no labor in its cause? I don't think so. Be ignited or be gone. What do we love? Is religion about coming somewhere to be affirmed that you're right and you're going to the good place? This is just sort of a way to... Says the man who basically is saying he's right. And he's trying to create a good place here on earth. I'm reminded that Jesus likes me the best. Um, Then you're not helping Second thing that's going to bother some people, Jesus isn't coming back. (laughs) That's weird. He said he was. Strange. So I either believe Jesus or I believe Ryan Meeks. We live in a world that is spectacular in its beauty and its diversity, sunsets and infinite starscapes. You know, it's so weird. It is really weird because 
he literally sounds like a fulfillment of the Apostle Peter's prophecy regarding what would take place in the end times. Let me find this real quick. Uh, let's see. Second Peter, um, and I think it's chapter 3. Now, okay, yeah, uh, let's see. Yeah, here it is. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1. This is the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved. This is the guy who walked on water and, well, sank pretty quickly. This is the guy who denied Christ and was forgiven by Jesus. He's an eyewitness of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Here's what he says. Now, this is the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and, and sa- of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, that first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Following their own sinful deniers, uh, d- desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, the earth was formed out of water and through water and by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But the, by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's weird that Second uh, Peter chapter three literally, Peter prophesied under the Holy, you know, clearly, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that scoffers like Ryan Meeks would arise, and his argument sounds exactly like what Peter said these scoffers would say. It is also a world full of violence and hatred, fear and division and suffering, deep suffering. Like the disciples who witnessed in the story this crucifixion. It's not- and the resurrection. They witnessed the resurrection. They, the, 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 Jesus bodily alive after he was dead. Story we want to live in. That certainly wasn't the story they wanted to live in. We want a savior to come clean this joint up, or at least just a decent, like, civil rights leader or a president who doesn't just annoy us every day. Like, just, it will take anything at this point. When you read the story, Easter weekend was stressful. They were frightened. The disciples are afraid. The world felt unsafe. The crucifixion was a massive plot twist for them. Jesus was supposed to liberate them, to set them free from their oppressors, but instead they find themselves in a world that is not saved. When you woke up to this Easter day, was it a world that's fixed and healed that Jesus paid it all for? No, it's a world full of pain, illness, violence, and power abuse. And those disciples like us realize that our dreams of redemption have been dashed. Have you felt that way a lot this year? Here's the reality. At some point, the disciples and all the greatest saints of all traditions of love have to leave the upper room where they cower in fear and realize that the world that many of us thought was at hand is not going to be handed to us. That we're going to have to build that world. And we are so much like... So Jesus isn't coming back. We have to build the a utopia here on earth. Whoa. This guy is an ideologue. Beware of his politics. Disciples. We want a world free of hatred, racism, and injustice. But we are disappointed to consider that we're the ones who are going to have to make it so. We want somebody else to do it. We want a cure for cancer, but it's a real bummer to find out we're going to have to pay for the research. We want everyone to have access to good health care, but we are not excited. You can't find a cure for sinful humanity. The only cure is Christ. 
end, you being brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, because he actually died on the cross for your sins as your substitute. We're going to have to pay for it. We want sensible gun laws, which is different than gun control or taking away all your guns, by the way. And you know what? It's taking teenagers now to step up and say, we don't want to be shot anymore. So Yeah, blame the shooters then, not those who are not shooting people. Can some adults help us? And the fact that our culture is so adolescent that whether you agree or not that the response from anyone would be less than we need to hear the pain of someone. We need to hear someone's pain is so embarrassing. What kind of a culture does this to children? Shame on us. We want a world free of hatred and racism. We want a world where there is justice for Stefan Clark. A world where there's justice for Alton Sterling. But we are not stoked that it's going to take more than outrage at our phones to bring this to a broken culture that has lost its story that, frankly, I don't think we never really possessed. The kingdom of God, which is a commonwealth of familial love for all of Earth's creatures, human and non-human, it is up to us to live that kingdom into reality. The disciples- Oh, yeah, you got to live it into reality. I thought that the kingdom arrives when people are brought to f- penitent faith in Christ. Hmm... We're in shock and anger and fear. A boulder had been rolled across a just world that they believed was just at hand. It was coming soon. And it seemed like that world was never going to come now. And it won't until we build it. It's up to us. Guys, it's been 2,000 years. Every generation is like, we're in the end times. <laughs> Every generation that's ever said that has been wrong. Can we at least, some of you are like, he's definitely coming back. Fine. How about we clean up the joint? Anyway, so this is the scoffer that Peter prophesied in Second Peter three, and then when he comes back, we're like, we cleaned it. That's what I'm saying. I don't care what you believe. Believe whatever you want. The question is, what are your beliefs motivating in you? What grows out of those beliefs? And if it isn't love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, then bullshit on it, on those beliefs. They're not. Then why do you believe that part of Scripture but deny the bodily resurrection accounts? I'm curious, why do you have a bias towards that and a bias against the bodily resurrection? Actually shaping the world in a better way. <laughs> and I, I, we're not that kind of church. So you guys are like, all right. <laughs> I need some hankies, like, or whatever. This, hey, let me read this quote. Robert Swan says this, the greatest threat to our planet is the belief that someone else will save it. This Easter, I beg you, let go of the fantasy that someone else is coming to rescue us. Yeah, Jesus isn't coming to rescue you. No, not at all. Get rid of it. That's a fantasy, despite what the Bible says. Follow Gandhi and be the change. Follow Jesus and be the light of the world. Jesus is the new Gandhi. That he says you are. Faith, having faith, isn't about believe the preposterous. That's what is faith. That's insane. Faith is embodied trust in a better world that we might not actually see come to fruition. That's the- Yeah, that's weird because, you know, the Bible actually defines faith for us. Hebrews chapter 11 says this, Faith is the assurance or the confidence of things hoped for, the conviction or certainty of things that are not seen. Yeah. 
forgiveness of sins, eternal life. This is what's promised to us by Christ and the apostles, and yet your definition of faith is different than theirs. Strange. In spite of the uphill climb, I will work for that reality. Susan B. Anthony never saw women get the vote. Frederick Douglass never met the Reverend Dr. King. We don't have faith in things that are easy to see. We serve the ages because we believe a better world is worth working for. That's why we do it. So we just keep fighting. We just keep walking. We just keep hoping. We just keep breathing. And we work for a better world. Just keep swimming. This is the Dory gospel. And it doesn't matter what you believe about the resurrection. Pick your favorite. And it doesn't matter what you believe about the resurrection. And Jesus isn't coming back. But and Jesus isn't coming back. Wow. Unbelievable. Peter called it. He knew these guys were coming because the Holy Spirit told him. He, and they're here. Total scoffer regarding the second coming of Christ and the day of judgment. Christ returns every time in the human heart you have the choice to choose love or the regressive alternative. That is always rooted in fear, by the way. When you choose love, when you have the choice of love or fear... Christ returns. Christ is- Nonsense. No text says that. Christ returns always, is ever returning in and through and as you. And the world is waiting for a community of people to come to awake to this truth. No, they're not. Yeah. <sighs> this, is the, uh, this is the kind of message that will lead the world into fascism again. Yeah, I'm telling you. This guy is a postmodern ideologue and he's not a christian and he's not a pastor he is one of the little antichrists that the apostle john warned us about in first john all right that is contestant number two what'd you think you'll be able to vote at the end of the week if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pyre Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at Pyre Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.